Today's sermon comes from Proverbs 3, 1 through 12. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. This week, if you read the news, uh, you might have seen a story about a composer named Jim Finer. The crazy thing that he did is uh, he composed a song, a symphony that would last for a thousand years. And on January 1st, 2000, using song bowls, he set this song in motion. And here's the thing, even, even well after he's gone, this thing won't stop playing or repeat until the morning after December 31st, 2,999. And so the story that CNN is telling, if you, if, if you go to greatbigstory.com, you can see it. They ask him what, what uh, caused him to want to do this. Why, why would he set out to create a thousand-year-long symphony? And he tells the story of how uh, he grew up uh, infatuated or interested in time and the way that it worked. And then as the mid-90s came and he started looking at the anticipation of the new millennia, people, he started to see the way that we were preparing to celebrate it. And he saw a paradox. And the paradox that he saw was, how could something so long in the coming, like a millennia, be commemorated by strategies that were so short? And his point was, it, it felt like a paradox to him that we would celebrate something like the new millennia with fireworks, with parties. And so what it did is it led him to want to find a way to commemorate the new millennia in a way that reflected the endurance of it, that sort of mirrored the significance of it. And so the reason that's relevant is we, we come to a similar paradox this morning. As we turn to Proverbs chapter 3, we face the question, if our response to Jesus isn't going to be just a flash in the pan, if our response to Jesus isn't going to just be like a night of fireworks that come and go, but instead are going to be more like a thousand-year symphony, then what does that look like? So this morning, we're going to take a look at the question, what does it look like to follow Jesus in all of life. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Proverbs chapter three. If you don't have a Bible at the top of your sermon guide, the text will be included. So over the last couple of weeks, we've been uh, moving through a sermon series in the book of Proverbs. In the first week, we took a look at how uh, we don't have life in ourselves, but it has to come from the outside. 
And then we took a look at how all of life hinges on the principle of whether we respond to uh, Jesus's invitation to a relationship of discipleship. Then the second week, we looked at how does that invitation come along? We looked at how Jesus broke into human history like a street preacher and called us to come to himself right in the midst of our weariness. And then how today that plays out by the Holy Spirit breaking into our hearts and our lives and calling us uh, to come to himself. Then in week three, we looked at our initial response to that. And that is, we're called to be people of his word. We're called to put down roots into his word. And so naturally this morning, as we turn to Proverbs chapter three, we come to the question, what does it look like to follow Jesus, not just initially, but for an entire life? Not just for a moment, but for an entire life. And so as we do that, we will find uh, that the real great question of our life is who are you going to follow? So following Jesus over a course of life is answering the question, who are you going to follow? And what we're going to see this morning is that who will you follow is first a heart question. Then we're going to see that it's a repetitive question. It's one that we face again and again and again in life. And then finally, we're going to see that it's a long question. It's a question that never really ends in its asking. So first, uh, it's a question of our heart. Turn with me to to Proverbs 3 and take a look at uh, verses 1 through 4. What you're going to see is that in um, Jesus's redemption of us, he is discontent for our redemption to just be about eternal salvation. What I mean by that is he is unwilling for our redemption to just be about a ticket to heaven. What Jesus is looking for is our, what we call our utter redemption. What utter redemption means is he wants to see all of who you are and the entirety of your life restored to himself, right? So he's unwilling to leave you uh, just at a ticket uh, into heaven. And so what's interesting about that is um, we were driving down the beach uh, yesterday and we were looking at all of the, you know, when Hurricane Matthew came through, how do y'all say it? Is it Michaelers or Micklers? Oh, there's some debate in the room. Yeah, well, we were headed down there and uh, we saw all those, all those homes that had, you know, a bunch of them had kind of been hit by the hurricane. Um, and here's the thing, with one of those homes, what you could do is you could probably go buy it and then you could get all the inspections done, fix all the major problems with it, then slap some new drywall on it, and then sell it for a profit, right? But here's the thing, that's not how Jesus is with us. Jesus is determined to see every single layer and every single corner of our proverbial house, our life, restored or redeemed. And here's the reason is he... Uh, He's not intending to sell us. He wants to make his home in us. So think about that analogy, that Jesus wants not just to flip our lives, but to see them completely restored. But so here's the issue. Uh, Our death, our dissatisfaction, our discontentment, it all came out of independence, right? That we were designed for dependence on Christ 
And so when we attempted independence, that's what led us into the mess that we're in. And so here's the thing. Jesus is unwilling to leave any part of you abandoned to your independence. Let me say it a different way. Maturity in the Christian life does not mean independence. It means complete restoration to dependence. I'll say that again. Maturity in the Christian life does not mean independence. It means complete restoration to dependence. So eventually as the, so if you've been tracking with the series, the call of Christ comes to us. It comes out of the mouth of the Lord into our ears. And at first you can feel like I'm, uh, it's just a matter of intellectual assent or a matter of uh, emotion, you know, whether I'm going to respond, but eventually because he's unwilling to leave us abandoned, he continues to ask the question. And eventually we get to the point where the question comes to our heart. It comes to the place of our affections and our loyalties Uh, And here's the thing with that. We have fickle hearts. Y'all know what the word fickle means? It means uh, easily able to change or rapidly change our loyalties or our affections, or in other words, bounce from one thing to the next. I'll give you a good example. Uh, In 2009 and 2010, we made a major investment in, uh, in our family to enable me to train to do Ironman. And over the course of a year, uh, my family and I, we spent about a thousand hours away from each other while I was training. And then we spent several thousand dollars on gear, least of which was a bike. And look, the investment paid off. We got to November, 2010, I completed Ironman. And then here's what's really interesting. You know what happened at the next race? Take a guess. That's just it. I haven't raced since. It's 2017, and after the peak of this major investment in Ironman, as soon as I was done, I hung it up. I just turned to something else. In seven years, I have my, my bike, at least with me sitting on it, hasn't even touched the asphalt. <laughs> my point is this. Uh, we have fickle hearts. We're able to burn hot towards something for a minute or even for a long time for an extended time. But then just like that, we can be done with it, right? Just like that, we can turn from it. And so look, we can be the same way in our relationship with Christ. We, uh, as the question of what does it mean to follow him comes to our life, uh, because we have fickle hearts, we are capable of doing any number of these three things. One, we can be casual, towards him. So give you an example. Uh, You might listen to Caleb in your car, but then you're unwilling to give him the right to decide what kind of car you drive. Or another example, we we, we can keep it intellectual. You know, the spiritual version of uh, let's just be friends. And the way we can do that is we can uh, vigorously defend the doctrine of election. We're like, I mean, we argue well that it's God who chooses us and not the other way around. But then as soon as God's choice of somebody else puts us next door to a neighbor that we don't like, we refuse to get to know that neighbor, right? Or we can be negligent towards him. So at first, 
Uh, we can uh, burn real hot. We can spend a lot of time with the Lord. And then as soon as our life gets busy, what's the first thing that punts? Our relationship with the Lord, right? Our time with him. My point is not to beat anybody up. I, all of these things I've done, I will do. I'm probably in the midst of doing. The point is just to illustrate that even in our relationship with Christ, we can have fickle hearts. And so now turn with me to Proverbs chapter three. What I want you to see is uh, in verse three, it says, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. See, as the call of Christ to come to him makes its way into our heart, what Proverbs 3 is, is exhorting us or teaching us to do is bind loyalty to Jesus around your neck like a yoke. It says, chisel it into your heart. In other words, what that means is um, take your affections and your motivations and your desires and make them vehicles for your loyalty to Jesus. Tracking with me? So the first thing that we find is that uh, in Proverbs chapter three is that if we're gonna follow Jesus with our entire life, the first thing that that means is our heart. It means it goes beyond our head. It goes beyond our emotions and it gets down into our life and our motivations. I tell you one last story. Um, I grew up playing a lot of football and my, I had two older brothers and we would always get into these debates about like who was better, who was, where we were gonna go play. You know, all those things. Kids get into dreams about what they're gonna do. And my oldest brother would always turn and look at me and he would, I bet you he said it to me 1,400 times. He said, Kevin, don't talk about it. Be about it. Let me say that again. He said, Kevin, don't talk about it. Be about it. So in summary, what you're going to find is that uh, it, the question of who will you follow is a question of your heart, not just your head. And honestly, it's the, if we're going to follow Jesus for our entire life, the first thing that it, it's calling us to is not to talk about it, but to be about it. Not to talk about our relationship with Jesus, but to be about our relationship with Jesus. So next, let's turn and take a look at uh, how does this question, who will you follow, play out over the course of your life? So if you're following along, uh, turn with me to verses five, uh, really down through 10. As you, those of you who've walked with Jesus for a long time know this, as you walk with Jesus, who will you follow is not a question that you face one time. It's a question that you face again and again and again and again, it's a repetitive question. If, uh, if you're following along in the sermon guide, look down at point two. See where it says the repetitive question? What I want you to do is take out your pen, scratch out repetitive, and write the word relentless. That's a better way of describing the question, who will you follow? Is that who will you follow is a relentless question that you are never, ever, ever, ever done answering. So let me give you a couple examples of how that plays out. Proverbs chapter three gives us three of them. The first one is, who will you follow is a question of who are you gonna lean on? Turn with me to uh, verses five 
and six. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. I told you last night that, um, I told you that last night, Jen and I went to the beach with some really good friends. And if y'all were at the beach last night, you know, it, uh, high tide was kind of late. So as we got there, it started rolling in and Caleb is getting older. So we get there and the first thing this dude wants to do is he wants to go wade out into the breakers. And you can suffice it to say that uh, because he's three, he's not really quite just yet able to do that, but we would let him. And so what would happen is as Caleb would walk out into the waves, into the breakers, uh, if he did it on his own, I mean, just the littlest wave would knock him down. But if he came to me and Caleb took my hand and he followed me out into the breakers and I decided that it was okay for us to go, then he could stand in the waves. And not just could he survive the waves, but he had a wonderful time in the ocean. There was like laughing and carrying on. And see, the difference was if Caleb tried to go into the breakers on his own, relying on himself, he ended up face down in the water. But if he went holding my hand, following me, trusting me, then not only could he go into the waves, but he could enjoy them. He could have fun with it, right? So our life is like that. We, um, as we face the sort of topsy-turviness of how's our life gonna go, we're gonna face tons of ambiguity. You're gonna face some difficulty. You're gonna face questions like, who will I marry? Where am I gonna go to school? What am I gonna do for a career? Will I have kids? Where are we gonna live? You, you can think of all of these, all these questions that maybe you are facing right now. And what Proverbs 3 is teaching us is that every single one of those moments is a question of who will you follow? And then it gives us this advice. It says, do not lean on your own understanding. What it says is that the question, who will you follow, you should not answer with me. Your answer to that question should not be yourself. But instead, here's what it says to do. It says, in all of your ways, desire his presence. The, the, that's sort of another way of reading, in all your ways, acknowledge him, is in all of your ways, desire to grow closer to Jesus. And so what that means is as you think about what you need for your life and want for your life, that rather than trying to figure that out on your own, you set as your first priority a desire to be close to Jesus. And then the next thing that you should do is abandon yourself to that. Trust him to give that to you. So the first example that I want you to see of how this plays itself out is the question, who will you follow uh, comes to our heart as a question of what are you going to lean on? Like Caleb in the breakers by himself, are you going to lean on yourself? Or instead, will you lean on Jesus? A second example is uh, as you get to verses seven and eight, it says, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It'll be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. So what we find is that uh, the sec a second example of how it comes to our life is how we choose to navigate the world, right? What is the filter or the worldview that we use in making our decisions? I, 
Um, a bunch of y'all might know this, but I used to work in vision care. And uh, if you've ever had an eye exam and you need some help with vision correction, you know that when you sit down in the chair and you look at the Snellen chart, you know, the chart with all the, the triangle of letters on it. If you need vision correction, you can't see the letters, right? They're blurry. You can't make sense of them. But what you need is you need another lens to be put in front of your eyes. And then you can see the Snellen chart. You tracking with me? Our life is exactly like that. It says that because of our independence, because of our rebellion, we are completely unable to understand things like righteousness, justice, equity. We're unable to understand how we should navigate. But the good news is that we're not abandoned to ourselves, right? What it says is that we need another lens in front of our eyes. And so uh, fortunately, Jesus comes and then gives us the Holy Spirit. And then what the scriptures here say is, rather than following yourself, rather than trying to decide for yourself what's right, what you should do is turn to Jesus, stare at him, learn who he is, and then live in light of your relationship with him. Do you remember last week, uh, we talked about what a uh, right relationship with Jesus looks like? It looks like we understand that our provision comes from him and not us, that our security comes from him and not us. That's what this means here. It means the first thing that we should do as we think about how to navigate our life is to realize that our provision and our security come from Jesus, right? So the second example of how this question, who will you follow comes to your heart is it, it comes to the question of whose lens are you gonna look through? Will you look through your own lens or will you look through the lens of Jesus? All right, I'm gonna wear you out with a third example. This one's probably my favorite. Work and money. <laughs> I just, I heard an audible, mm. Uh, as you get down into verses nine and 10, uh, we come to the question of how should we handle our work and our money? And what I want you to see is that our work and our money are ultimately a question of who will you follow, right? So um, if y'all, just a little, uh, I don't know, is this geometry or, anyway, I'll just get physics. That's the topic. Y'all know how the solar system works, right? That in the dead center is the sun. It's the biggest, weightiest part. And then the planets, which are smaller, orbit around the sun, right? They're sucked into the gravitational pull of the sun. And then the earth and the moon are the same way, right? The, the moon, because it's smaller, orbits around the sun. I mean, orbits around the earth. You're probably going, Kevin, where in the world are you going with this? But here's the thing. We have a tendency in our life to take our money and to take our work, our careers, which is where we find our... our uh, you know, our purpose and our identity and naturally give them significance. We give them a ton of weight. And then what happens is they move into the center of our lives, right? Inevitably, what happens is the things that are less weightier begin to orbit around the things that are weightier. And so what happens is we put our money and our work directly in the middle of our life and everything we do begins to orbit around it. You tracking with me? All right, so then turn to verse nine. 
It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. So what it says here is that uh, as you come to your work and you come to your money, your heart is facing the question, who will I follow? And the advice that it gives, the exhortation that it gives is not only to not put money and work in the middle, but give Christ significance, stare at him, understand him as the, the one who brings life and then set your work and your money in orbit around him. You tracking with us? All right, the reason I'm giving you so many examples this morning is because what I want you to see is that it's not about these three things. It's not as much about, you know, who um, am I gonna lean on? Uh, who do I view as wise? What do I do with my work? The point is, is that every single moment, every single decision, every single part of you is facing the question, who will I follow? And if the scriptures say it gives you two options, you can either follow yourself or you can follow Jesus. So why would I follow Jesus? We kind of read them, but if you look at the second half of each of those verses, right, there's five and then it's followed by six and there's seven and then it's followed by eight and then there's the command of nine and it's followed by 10. And what it says is that every single one of those moments is that life comes from the Lord. That if you want life, it's about restoration to our dependence on Christ. And so at each one of these moments, we face the question, who will you follow? Over the course of life, that question is gonna relentlessly pursue you and the answer is Jesus. And so what I want you to hear is that it's not just a question that you're gonna face one time, it's a question that you're gonna face again and again and again. And so then finally, if we're gonna follow Jesus over the course of our life, the scriptures say, uh, something about life and following Jesus. And it says two things. It says that life can be hard or life can be long, right? We're on this, Lord willing, on this earth, 70, 80, 90, 100 years. And then secondly, following Jesus can be hard. That when you get the question, who will you follow? That's not always easy. Choosing to set your affections on Jesus, choosing to view life through his frame, choosing to keep him in the middle rather than your money and your career is not easy. It is a hard thing to do. And that hard thing comes with sacrifice. But the, but the promise, the result of it is life. The result of it is your paths will be straight. Your, year, your days will be added to, your years will be added to, your peace will be added to. Those aren't uh, like health and wealth promises as much as just metaphors for the thing, the flourishing you were designed for is restored when we get back to dependence on Christ. And so what I want you to hear last and probably most important this morning is do not grow weary. That the question who will you follow is not as much uh, a relentless question that gets asked again and again, but it's one long perpetual question. It's like exactly as you begin to respond to Jesus, 
the opportunity to respond to him comes around again, right? And so if we're gonna follow him for our life, we have to find the means to not grow weary. So turn with me to verse 12. Right after saying, do not despise the Lord's discipline or his discipleship, don't despise his relentless asking you the question, who will you follow? And it says, do not grow weary of his reproof. Do not grow weary of him constantly calling you back to himself. And then it says, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. I spent 27 minutes preparing you to hear if you are gonna follow Jesus for your entire life, this is what you have to know. That it will be hard, it will be long, it will be amazing. But endurance means fixing your eyes on the fact that the father loves you like a son whom he delights. And that the call to come back to Jesus the call to follow him, whether it's hard or easy, is because he's intending to restore all of who you are to the way you were first made. And he's intending to restore you to himself. And so if we're gonna follow Jesus for the, the long haul, if our life isn't gonna be like fireworks that are over in a night, but are gonna be more like a symphony that plays out over a thousand years, then we need to have ways of reminding ourselves of the Father's love towards us in Christ. And so I wanna leave you with two ways. The first one is other people. If you are gonna follow Jesus for your entire life, you have to be connected to community. And the reason is this, other people who are following Jesus will remind you that the Father loves you in Christ. The reason the Christian life is not isolation or independence or on your own is because you in part need reminded that the father loves you. So you cannot live on your own. Right now I could turn into an advertisement about community group and all that, but you get where I'm going. You have to find people who love the Lord, who will love you and then you need to make that a rhythm of your life. And then the second way is the scriptures. We talked about it last week, but first you need people who remind you that the Lord loves you. The second thing you need is a rhythm of your life that allows the Lord himself to remind you that he loves you. When you come to the scriptures, when you, when you set aside time to sit with the Lord, I promise you, whether what he says to you is hard or joyful or easy or confusing, at every single turn, what the scriptures remind you of is that the Father loves you in Christ. And so what I wanna leave you with this morning is that if we're gonna follow Jesus over the long haul, if our life isn't gonna just be a flash in the pan, if it's not just gonna be fireworks that are over in a night, but it's gonna be like a thousand year symphony, 
then the two things we have to have in our life are community and the word. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge that you are the one who spoke this cosmos into existence, who spoke this world and our persons and this church into existence. Jesus, as a redeemed people, we confess that we exist in you, that life has been given back to us in you, and that that life itself is dependence on you. It's union with you. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you dwell with us, that you don't forsake us, you don't abandon us, but at every single moment of our lives, you bid us to come back to Jesus. That at every single turn of our lives, you ask us the question, who are you gonna follow? And we pray that by your great grace, you would make us a people whose answer to that question is Jesus. And Lord, we confess that of all the things that we need in our life, in all of the things that we need to respond to you, chief among them are people in your word. Lord, we are a people who need community. We are a people who need your body. And we are a people who need to hear from you and your word. And so we pray that you would make this congregation, this people, we pray that you would make our individual lives people who are marked by community and people who are marked by your scriptures. And above all of that, Jesus, we pray that you would hurry back. We pray that you would come quickly because ultimately our longing and our hope is to see you face to face. And this morning we pray all of this in your name. Amen.